Today on Schmanners, we're going to talk about Jane Austen. That makes sense. And sensibility. Hmm. It's Schmanners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Come on up. Uh, the dog really wants up on the couch with us. Okay. 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 Now she doesn't, because that is her way. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? I'm all right. What are you up to? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, let me lead off by saying... I missed everybody last week. I'm Aww. sorry we didn't have an episode. And, um, I hope you will forgive. I was traveling. Went to uh, the San Diego Comic-Con. And we did uh, the Macro Brothers were on at midnight. Um, it's been a busy week. We also uh, put some um, My Brother, My Brother Mean Adventure Zone tickets up for sale. Um, a lot of them are sold out already. But I think there's still some tickets available in Atlanta. Tennessee, Chicago, Brooklyn, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. Hey, let's save that for the end. Well, I'm always worried about people tuning out at the end. So if you want to check those out, you can go to McElroyShows.com slash tours. Um, but we will talk more at the end. Um, let's see. What were you up to? I missed you. Well, I I stayed here with the baby and the dog and the cat. That sounds way more fun. It was an all girls weekend. I like I like all of those things. Hey, what are we talking about this week? I told you. Jane what? Jane Jane Austen. Jane Austen. She wrote um a lot of alliterative fiction like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility and Frank and Freddie nope. and Jim and Jim. <laughs> Jim and Jim is the least interesting one. Um, but in many ways, I think it was her best work. So she did, she did write, um, a bunch of novels. And the thing that was, was so interesting about her work in the day is although it was, uh, all of her, all of her novels pretty much took place within her, her realm of, of society, she still found a way to, be um ironic in her writing mm-hmm. and a little sarcastic and and just a bit you know um critical of the way that that women especially were treated in the Georgian regency era was she was she funny in real life or was it just like do we now just uh, attribute that cuz like I like, for example, whenever I think uh, uh, of Pride and Prejudice, and the main character's name is escaping me. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Elizabeth is this like acerbic wit and very, um, you know, cunning and sarcastic mm-hmm. and clever. And I think because I know Pride and Prejudice the most from doing the play and and stuff, I I, I kind of always picture Elizabeth when I picture Jane Austen. Um. Uh, that's a fair assessment, although uh, literary uh, scholars pretty much place her more like Emma. But uh, 
we don't know a ton about how she was in everyday life because she didn't really have very many friends. She never got married. Um, she did have a couple of proposals, uh, one which was figured unsuitable by her family, mm. and the other which would have been a really good um, like financial match and would have been able to take care of her mother and her sister and, and things like that. But she, um, after accepting the next day, rescinded her acceptance. Ooh. Well, because I think at that point... Um, she had written a couple of books by then, and none of them were really like uh, were bestsellers. Really, um, although it, it, that feels so common. That feels like every time you talk about an artist or an author, or a poet or whatever, it's always like we know who they are now, and they're huge names now. But at mm-hmm. the time, eh. I'm I'm not going to say okay, they weren't bestsellers in the way of like huge numbers there were several printings made and uh, at least one of those printings closely sold out uh, nearly sold out there weren't uh, they did books a little differently back mm-hmm. then um so you would they do didn't have ebooks nope really you would do a run of print uh so you would print so many books um and then you would have to you know keep tabs on how many books were still out there and and like i said pride and prejudice had a good run as far as the books but not a ton like there weren't a million printed i was about to make a joke about old-timey versions of audiobooks where you just paid someone to stand and read it to you (laughs) but then i thought it's quite possible that that actually was a thing it is quite possible right i can picture yeah. that i could picture someone like paying their valet to like stand over them and be like okay where were we <laughs> um chapter eight and again um i think what i was saying as far as pride and prejudice goes she had developed such rich uh rich lives within the, her characters and i think at that point had kind of dissected really just her lot in life. They talk about in Pride and Prejudice about, you know, marrying wealthy and taking care of your family. And once the dad's gone, who's going to take care of you, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like she just didn't want to be locked into a loveless marriage. She wanted to marry for love, like a lot of her heroines did. And it just didn't happen for her. Well, I feel like we've really gotten ahead of ourselves. Okay. Maybe we should like rewind back to like, you know, baby. Baby Austin. Ba- baby Austin. Baby Jane. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? <laughs> uh, so she was born December 16th, 1775 uh, in Hampshire. I don't... <sighs> okay. I-, I have this weird roadblock in my brain where mm-hmm. if you had said anything after 1800, that would have made sense. But the fact that she is older than America is really weird to me. Well, older than, you know, U.S. of A, Declaration of Independence, America. By one year. Yeah, but that's just so, but that feels like Shakespeare times, <laughs> <laughs> which I know is the 1600s. Don't at me. I'm saying that it feels like so, 1800 is what I expected you to say. You know, it being in America, it's it's difficult, I think, for us to wrap our head around when exactly that happened in time with the rest of the world because mm-hmm. for us it feels like history started on yeah, July 4th, 1776. Yeah. But a lot of this stuff runs pretty concurrently. So like 
King George, um, the Regency, that era was basically during the Revolutionary War. Um, but, you know, across the pond over there in England, they were doing other stuff. Got it. Uh, okay. Oh, no. I said that wrong. The Regency took place just after the res- the. See, we're doing it. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> took place right after the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812. Um, but the Georgian era is going on because Mad King George was right. the king during. I know that. Thanks, Hamilton. Um, uh, but once he, uh, once his son, Prince, the Prince Regent, also George later. All Georges. All Georges. Oops, um, all Georges. <laughs> that was more like the War of 1812, to put it in American war terms. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. We just showed our, our US of A really hard. And I... I told like that's yeah that's the thing it's hard we don't learn history that way. Um, okay, so she was the seventh child of a country clergyman and his wife, uh, George and that Cassandra she Austin. Writes, she writes a lot of clergy characters in like there's uh, or maybe that was just the time period that everybody's mm-hmm. like local priest local uh, parishioner. Is that right? Whatever. Um, is was such a more prominent figure because there's always a character who's like, and you could marry this guy and live at the church and stuff. Yeah, her closest friend was her only sister, Cassandra, uh, who was three years older than Jane. Um, this biography was was interesting to research. Because I expected so much more, and yet it is, it seems almost fitting in the lives of her uh, her heroines that her life should end up this way. Um, she lived a very quiet life. She lived amongst her father's books. Um, her father took in several usually boys from the village uh for extra income to learn to teach them like as a as a tutor um and so he had an extensive library and so did their neighbor who also allowed her to peruse his books um so she learned a lot from there uh she was sent away to a girls school for a little bit but her family was pretty poor um so they couldn't afford her and cassandra to both go to school um she had a bunch of brothers, uh, some who married well and some who didn't. Um, and you mean like married rich, not yes. just like their wedding was good. Yes. Um, so she, uh, they, they moved around after her father died for a while. They moved to different places houses uh within like their family realm so they didn't really like meet a ton of people they went to like dances and stuff at the at the local dance hall or whatever um the sock hop the sock hop yes Mm -hmm. that's it i think that's what the kids today no i'm just kidding i don't know what kids say at all um which was i mean like i said a relatively quiet life there's just a few times where she would visit uh, her brother Henry, who lived in London. Ooh, la la. Um, 
and her brother Edward had been adopted by wealthy cousins um, and became their heir and they lived um, in Kent. So she visited Kent a couple times. She and her mother lived in Bath for a while, which is where Sense and Sensibility takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, but like she worked on her books and she, um, one could say that she started her first mature work, Lady Susan, when she was about 19. Um, but then really her, her work didn't take off until her early 20s when she wrote Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice, um, which evidently was sent to a publisher, Pride and Prejudice, uh, soon after it was finished, uh, but was rejected the first time, you know? She just kept plugging away at it, and she often would revise and revise and revise these novels um, throughout decades. That should be one of those, like, on, you know, Facebook, you see the videos, like, she wrote her first novel when she was 19. And then they all got rejected, but she kept going. That was Jane Austen. Never give up. Perseverance. Succeed. And then, like, people high-fiving. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of her books were actually published anonymously for a while. Um, I, I actually just looked this up because I, yeah. I remembered and I couldn't remember what the pseudonym was. But I will let you say it because you uh, are in charge. Oh, I could. I didn't find the pseudonym. Oh, what what her anonymous pen name was? Oh, okay. Yeah. But, uh, you want me to say? It? Okay. Yeah, go for it. She published them uh, under a lady, which was great because the reason I looked it up is for a second I had it in my head that it was one of those things where she couldn't get it published, and so she used a man's name to get it published. But no, <laughs> the exact opposite there. Uh, just went ahead and went with a lady. Um, I just thought yeah. that was very interesting. So she was growing her reputation, but she wasn't like super famous or anything. Um, she had to have wanted that on some level, right? Not to be famous, I mean, because like if you publish your novels under a lady, there's a certain amount of anonymity and mystery that you want there, right? You're, I suppose so. You're lemony snicketing it, as the, <laughs> as the kids say. Unfortunately, which is what I was about to say. Uh-huh. Jane Austen is not alive today. What? <laughs> what? I, I You know what? I was listening to Sawbones, mm-hmm. and um, Justin was really getting down on Sydney because she always talks about the, fa- the, the, you know, the famous doctors or, or whoever um, being dead. And I just was like, well, of course they are. They're dead. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way? Do, do you am feel I it's a downer? That, am I sad that Jane Austen are you is sad dead? That Jane Austen's dead? Well, I didn't know her. Uh, I mean, I know of her. It's sad to find out. Did she just die? Is this like one of those things where it's like you find out like someone you were a fan of has actually been dead since like 2010 and you didn't know it? No. No. When she died, she died. On well, t- hold on. We're getting to the. We've only done like fifteen minutes. We can't go ahead and jump to the death. In fact, you'll find <laughs> out when Jane Austen died. Cliffhanger. 
when we come back after these thank you notes and some promos for some other Max Fun shows. Teresa, this week, I would like to tell you, and I guess if our listeners want to listen in too, that's fine, but I want to tell you about Bombas. 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 I believe you have talked of them before, but please expound. Okay, well, thank you. Um, Bombas makes socks, and they make them real good. They do a good, good job. That's all you need to know. Uh, They're dedicated to making the most comfortable socks in the history of foots. Isn't this the company that has no toe seam on the sock? No toe seam, um, uh, built-in blister tab, innovative arch support, stay-up technology. Um, They... They take making good socks very, very seriously. It sounds like they have engineered them quite uh, quite well. Um, and, and they've made them from premium cotton, so they stay warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And this is one of my favorite things. Every time you purchase uh, a pair of Bombas socks, one gets donated, a pair of socks gets donated to someone in need because Bombas figured out that one of the most in-demand items at shelters are socks. And so when you buy a pair, you're doing something good for you and your feet and doing something good for someone else. Uh, so buy one pair or four at bombas.com slash schmanners, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash schmanners for 20% off bombas.com slash schmanners. I also want to tell you about five four Teresa mm-hmm you know how buying clothes and looking good costs a fortune does it no it was a ah, trick question I got you I'm so oh, I'm so glad that I didn't say yes yes aren't you glad I didn't say banana you know what I mean well five four is revolutionizing the way people shop. Each month, they send you a curated box of two to three items that are hand-picked to match your style. They know what they're doing, so if you don't, totally okay. 5-4 Club will help you build your wardrobe one month at a time. You get, and this is a great deal, I, I'm, not, I'm not blowing smoke. This is a good one, folks. Are you listening? Okay. You get $120 of clothes for just $60 a month, and you can pause or cancel at any time. That is a good deal. Right? Yeah. Right? Half off. I know. And so you can go to 54club.com right now and enter promo code SHMANNERS, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S, and they'll give you 50% off your first month package plus a free pair of sunglasses. So that's your first month for 25%. Of the cost of the clothes. $120, right? For $60, half off that. That's such a great deal. So you want to go to 54 Club. That's F I V E F O U R C L U B dot com. Promo code Schmanners. That's 54 Club dot com. Promo code Schmanners. Check it out. A lot of times my instincts are, are wrong. They're mostly wrong, but they're not wrong in the sense that, like, I misread somebody. They're just extremely limited. To my, you know, to my idea of who they are. That was Mark Marin. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm the host of NPR's Bullseye. I'm so excited to tell you about my new show, The Turnaround. Join me as I sit down with some of the best interviewers in the world to ask them about how and why they do what they do. 
We'll go deep. Some of the biggest names in media, everybody from Terry Gross to Jerry Springer to Combat Jack. That's all on The Turnaround, two episodes a week this summer. Subscribe now. Tell a friend. Creativity, comedy, and friendship. All these things and more are waiting for you at Max FunCon East at the maybe haunted Pocono Manor, September 1st through 3rd. We only have a few tickets left, and they're on sale right now. So head on over to MaxFunCon.com to buy your tickets. Don't miss out. Okay. So, when we last left off, Jane Austen was dead to begin with. No, that's a different <laughs> that's, person. That's a different person. Uh, but she died on July 18th, 1817. Um, she was only 41 years old. Hmm. What is that? I'm always trying to remember because Sydney often points out, like, when it comes to life expectancy, mm-hmm. and people always talk, well, well, people died younger. That it was because of, sorry about this bummer, infant mortality rates, and that brought the average down. Was 41 young? Yes. Uh, she actually died first of all her siblings. Oh. Yeah. So the thing is. Um, she was ailing for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, she probably might have lived longer if she had, um, acknowledged that she was ill. Uh, but she didn't really. I think, I think in some way from what I've read, she just kind of let herself slip away. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, uh, According to what I've read, it may have been Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. Uh, which is a degenerative disease. Um, and interestingly, her gravestone, which is uh, at Winchester Cathedral, is visited by hundreds of admirers each year. I'm not surprised by in that. In the modern day. Uh, doesn't even mention that she's an author. Really? What's it say? It, it just says her name and the date, I believe. Mm. Jane Austen. I hate to see you go. Party <laughs> animal. Um, so. I want, by the way, when I die, oh. I would like my gravestone to just say a gravestone because I'm a hipster. Oh, boy. I think that would be very ironic. It's not a good joke, but I'm trying to bring my best here. There's not a lot of good Jane Austen based humor, you know? So then later that year in December, uh, her brother Henry wrote a biographical note in the two novels that were coincidentally published together, Persuasion and Northanger Abbey, um, that named Jane for the first time in one of her novels as the author and identified her as the author of Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park, and Emma. So after she died, she was finally named the author of those Interesting. I wonder if there's anybody out there like with Shakespeare where there are people who are like, maybe she didn't write those novels or if like everybody's like, no, it's, mm, it's totally Jane she Austen. She probably did. I mean, listen, I'm not I'm not saying Jane Austen didn't write those novels. I'm just wondering if there are any people out there. Who, it's if Jane Austen conspiracy. Yes. Where are the Jane Austen truthers? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I want to know. So. So she's dead. Yes. So there's probably not much else to her biography 
but we still need to fill the rest of the episode. So what are we going to talk about? Well, I would love to talk about some Regency manners. Ooh, okay. Um, this is an expert excerpt, sorry, from Daniel Pools. Who is an expert? It's an expert excerpt. There we go. Yeah. Expert excerpt. Daniel Poole's book, What Jane Austen Ate and What and Charles Dickens Knew, um, that cites uh, several behaviors of gentlemen and ladies. Uh, so here's the first one that I think is is very indicative of the period. This is for the gentleman. Meeting a lady in the street whom you only know slightly, you wait for her acknowledging bow. Then and only then may you tip your hat to her, which is done using the hand farthest away from her to raise the hat. You do not speak to her or to any other lady unless she speaks to you first. Mm. I think we talked about this uh, a little bit when we talked about um, the promenade idea of... um, of coming out in society. Remember that? Yeah. Do, do you remember? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> Your no, face I, is very blank. No, all I'm just thinking about every time we, we talk about a subject like this, I, I'm, I'm thinking about calculating how much, to me, now, inane minutiae you would have to know of mm-hmm. like, okay, mm-hmm. well, she's closer to my left hand, so I'll use my right hand, but I shouldn't. Well, I'm going to wait for her. How well do I know her? I do. I okay. Don't say anything. <laughs> like, I I think that at first it might have been daunting, um, but you know, once you pass enough ladies in the street, you pretty much figure it out. And I'm also probably better at math than they were, so like, I think it all balances out. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um. I suppose. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think what it comes down to, I, I joke, but what I think it comes down to is whenever we talk about stuff like this, it's it seems mind-boggling that they kept all that information in their head, but they weren't, it's not like they had a lot of other things, you know what I mean? Like, when you were, mm-hmm. especially of, like, an aristocracy or of, like, upper class, it's not like you were worried about you know, finishing that report so your boss wasn't breathing down your neck. Right. Or like... You, you know had I mean? a lot of time to kind of think things out and memorize things. Right. Your job was to be good at this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, in a carriage, a, gen- a gentleman takes the seat facing backward. If he is alone in a carriage with a lady, he does not sit to her- next to her unless he is her husband, brother, father, or son. He alights from the carriage first so that he may hand her down. He takes care not to step on her dress. If there are two ladies in the carriage with the guy, he wedges himself in the roof <laughs> of the carriage like Spider-Man. Uh, here's an interesting one for the ladies. Uh, a lady does not wear pearls or diamonds in the morning. Just because? <laughs> That's all it says. Um I think that it's probably, uh, so the morning dress mm-hmm. was often a lot less. Not morning, form- M-O-U-R. Right. Yeah, M-O-R. Okay. Morning as in before noon. Gotcha. Uh, dress was a little less formal. Um, one usually wore a simpler dress at that point, uh, probably a shawl. 
And then in the afternoon, you would get, you would put on your afternoon dress and then you would dress again for dinner. Uh, so it became so many dresses. more and more elaborate. I mean, if you were going out, I think. I don't, I don't know if you chose to stay home all day, if you would change your dress three times. Or then times. you would change from your morning sweatpants to your <laughs> afternoon sweatpants. Ah, <laughs> uh, we shall sweatpant for dinner. <laughs> but uh, Bring me my diamond sweatpants. <laughs> since the mor- Where's my hoodie, Jenkins? Since the morning dress was a lot simpler, I think that to wear diamonds or pearls with it was probably considered overkill and tacky. Yeah, they just don't go with snuggies. They just don't go with snuggies. That should be our subtitle. Schmanners goes great with snuggies. Um, and a lady should never, quote, cut someone. That is to say, fail. Unless they snitch. Fail to acknowledge their presence. <laughs> oh, okay. After encountering them, encountering them socially. Unless it is absolutely necessary. And I don't know what would, would make it absolutely necessary. By the same token, a lady is never truly justified in cutting someone. Wait, hold on. Yes. So, shouldn't cut someone, which means fail to acknowledge their presence in social society, unless it's absolutely necessary, which it never is. (laughs) That is what it says. I think that it it is, this might be hyperbole, um, used to illustrate how you really, it is bad manners to ignore someone in public. The only way I could see this is if that person, like, was such a pariah that it was like, everyone's going to totally understand why you can't acknowledge the person who murdered your husband or something. You know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah, in that circumstance, to- that that man left you at the altar um, and, in, you know, embarrassed you socially in front of everybody. It's okay if you don't say hi to him. That's okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I can get that. Or or maybe um, this goes to illustrate how if one feels that has they've been snubbed or cut, you can you can explain it away by saying, Oh, no one would ever do that intentionally. They must have just not seen you. Mm-hmm. So more kind of polite cabioshes. Yeah. You know. I had just had my pupils dilated and I was wearing my blue blockers and I just didn't see you there. Yes. I was all hopped up on laudanum. My bad. Oh, we've all been in a laudanum spiral, my dear. No <laughs> need to worry. Here is another uh, a listing, an, an elusive listing uh, from... Georgette Hires Regency World, written by Jennifer Cloister, I believe. So these are a, a list of rules and etiquette uh, located in Chapter 8, if anyone would like to find that. Um, so morning calls were generally taken in the afternoon, whereas a morning call did not exceed half an hour, and social connections were usually formed through a series of meetings beginning with morning calls to the homes of those in fashionable society. Whereas in London, if a woman paid morning calls to her social equals or inferiors, but not to her social superiors, they could do that until they had called on her or left a card. So let me dissect this a Mm -hmm. little bit. Okay. 
So calling on someone meant to visit them at their home. Yes. Right? Um, and there was a, a strict hierarchy as far as who you could call on when. And then, depending upon your status in society, when you could accept their call or return their call if you weren't home or you hadn't met them yet. There must have been so many like horrible realization moments where like you went to visit somebody and they were like, they turned you away and you're like, wait, am I not on the same level as them? <laughs> like there must have been all these. I thought, how well do I, do I not know them? Who lives here? And what level of society am I at? Oh no. Oh no. I thought I was a six, but I'm a five. Oh no. I don't know what the levels of society are. Not five and six. I thought I was a blue barracuda, but <laughs> I'm a silver snake. Uh, there was just so much ceremony that went around all of this. So if you, you know, we've talked about calling cards, leaving those, and and please go and revisit that uh, that episode if you want to learn more about this. But there was just this kind of back and forth, to and fro, as far as how your status in society determined pretty much everything and everyone you met. Mm -hmm. Calling on someone just reflected all of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. I mean, that's the thing is, and I think we talked about this in like, previous episodes before, but it's always funny how things change and everything stays the same of like, I bet, you know, it, it's a similar feeling now to like when you text somebody and they don't immediately text you back and you're like, oh, wait, oh, what are they? Are they mad at me? Are we not friends? What's going on? Why? Are, why is everyone else in this message chain responding to everyone else, but not to me? You know, I've, mm -hmm. but there was a lot of that, like. I'm going to let them dangle for a minute before I send my runner to take them a card with my response. <laughs> uh, I don't know what voice that was. I don't know either. Speaking of the, the hierarchy of civilization, here are some rules about servants. Mm -hmm. Servants and social inferiors were always kept at a proper distance, but without arrogance, pride, or aloofness. See, that once again, that's tricky. Give me an actual number. What's a proper distance? Five, 10, 15? I don't, I don't know. Uh, servants were spoken to with exactly the right degree of civility and never with the casual informity with which a person would speak to an equal. See, once again. Neither a lady nor a gentleman discussed private business in the presence of servants, and servants were generally ignored at mealtimes. Okay. I mean, I disagree with all of that morally, but I'm also very confused by the, you don't speak about private matters in front of them, but you just ignore that they're there. Um, I think maybe... You know what I mean? It's like, this idea of keeping keeping them at kind of... Uh, what do you... What do you not arms... Arms length? Arms length. Yeah. Um, we, we acknowledge that they're there in the way of they are working... But they are not our friends. Um, they they have this thing that they do that I ignore, basically, because I'm higher up in society than them. 
You know, I, I will also say on some level, uh, I, I'm more, How did you like my hoity-toity voice? It was very good. It was okay. much better than mine. Um, morally, of course, opposed to we pretend like the servants aren't there and we keep them at a proper distance and we don't acknowledge them. But I also bet as uh, I also bet that if you were a servant, whatever anyone looked at you and said something to you, you were like, oh, please just. Uh huh. Yeah. Hi. OK. Hey, <laughs> let's go back to ignoring me. All right. I'm happy. I'm happy with the arrangement. You sit over there. I'm over here. We don't have to. All right. You're kind of a turd. Um, if you would not talk to me, that would be great. So I think that's going to do it for us. Unless, was there anything else, Teresa? Are we all set? Um, there were a couple of things from dinner parties that I wanted to explain for a second. Um, I think, I thought it was very interesting that among the courses and courses and food and dishes offered at a dinner party, it was acceptable to not eat from every dish on the table except the soup course. You were always supposed to accept the soup. Why? I don't know. I couldn't find exactly why. It was just bad manners if you declined the soup course. Even if you didn't want it, if you weren't going to eat it, you didn't like it, you were expected to kind of play with it in the bowl and not decline it. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And um, the other thing I wanted to mention was the mistress of the household should never appear to pride herself regarding what is on the table. It is much better for her to observe silence in this respect and leave it to her guest to pronounce their uh, their pleasure with the dinner. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's kind of a holdover today as well. If you, Look what I did. <laughs> okay, Susan. If you present a dish onto the table, you know, the hostess is not supposed to be like, did you like it? What did you think of my beef? Good beef, eh? <laughs> You're supposed to wait for your guests to to praise it. So that, those were the, the interesting things about dinner parties. Uh, we've also already discussed dinner parties, and I think that we've done a little bit of... Uh, of Regency era discussion on this. Um, although not exactly Regency, we talked a lot about Downton Abbey mm-hmm. at the dinner party episode. So go ahead and check that out too. I also want to say, uh, as long as we're making recommendations, there's also a great episode of Supersizers Go for the Regency, if you want to check that out. I think it's on Hulu. You may also be able to find it on the YouTubes, but you can find it on Hulu. Uh, that seems more legit. Um so that's going to do it for this Jane Austen bio episode. Um, let's see. Plugs. Um, the tours. You can go to McElroyShows.com forward slash tours. You can find the McElroy brothers uh, on at midnight on Comedy Central uh, dot com. Morning. And that it's, is. It's not entirely safe for work. Um, in fact, I will say it's not safe for work. Um, also, just so long as I'm making plugs, I do a Dungeons and Dragons podcast with my brothers and my dad called The Adventure Zone. Um, we have adapted the first Which is also arc, not safe for work. Which is also very not safe for work. We have adapted the first arc, Here There Be Gerblins, into a graphic novel. Um, it will be coming out in 2018, but it is available for pre-order now. If you go to theadventurezonecomics.com, 
you can find it there. Um, so check that out. As always, I want to say thank you to Brent, Brentle Floss Black, for our theme music. That is available as a ringtone where those are sold. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter uh, avatar art. Um, check out her portfolio. And then thank you to Keely Weiss for our Facebook banner. Um, you can also go check out all the other amazing shows at MaximumFun.org. There's a ton on there, and you're going to love all of them. You can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S-C-A-S-T. Next week, we will be talking about laundromat etiquette. Um, so if you have any questions, you can tweet at us. You can email us, uh, schmannerscast at gmail.com with your questions. Um, and, I th- and if you have any other uh, etiquette questions, there's a really great Facebook group called Schmanners Fanners, um, which is a fan group of ours. Um, and there are some really great... Uh, there's a great community of people on there who are always very helpful as far as etiquette questions go. Uh, and one last thing, if you think of any topics that you would like us to discuss or do episodes on, you can email us uh, that topic, schmannerscast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.